You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Well, a little girl was talking to her teacher about whales. And the teacher said that it's physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human being because even though they're very large mammals, their throats are way too small to fit a person inside. Well, the little girl very knowledgeably stated Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human being. It was impossible. The little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah. The teacher asked, well, what if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl replied, well, then I guess you can ask him. <laughs> Those little girls. At the end of Luke chapter 16, we have an account of a conversation taking place in Hades. And while they aren't talking about if a a man can fit into a, a whale's stomach or not, the point is still thrust home at the end of the chapter that men need to believe God. They need to believe the prophets uh, who, who wrote down the word. They need to believe God at his word or they'll face the consequences of an eternity in torment. And so let's go ahead and get into the text. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember, in your lifetime, you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from there, uh, from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So one interesting thing about this account, this story, is that neither the narrator nor Jesus says this is a parable, but rather it seems to be a true account. Jesus even actually remembers the name of the man in the story, the poor man. His name was Lazarus. Perhaps he even had a rich man in mind. Perhaps it's the same rich man that's found in Luke chapter 12. When one of, one of the men cries out in the crowd, Lord, make my brother give me my inheritance. And Jesus said to him, hey, 
Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And then he goes on and tells the story about a rich man who one season his ground yielded a, an incredible harvest. He became rich off of this harvest. And so he said to himself, self, <laughs> I'm going to tear down all of my barns and I'm going to make bigger barns so that I can hold all this harvest. And I'm going to take this money. I'm going to build myself a new house. I'm going to get all the sweet tools in life and all the sweet toys in life. And I'm just going to eat and drink and enjoy the rest of my life for tomorrow. I'm going to die. And Jesus says that this man is being very foolish because he's being rich towards himself, but not being rich towards God. And he says, you fool, you don't know that tonight your life will be required of you. Tonight, you're going to have to answer for all your deeds. You've been rich towards yourself, oh, so rich towards yourself, but you've been poor towards the Lord. And perhaps it's that same man that here we see his life has been required of him. Today was the day that his eternity has been sealed. And him and Lazarus are both sent down to, the, to a place called Hades. Now, one of the main points of this account is the same point of that in the shrewd servant parable that we studied about a month ago. It's found in the same chapter. You remember the story, a servant found out that he was going to be fired because he was basically wasting his master's goods. And so he went out and he used all of the wisdom intact that he could, could muster up from his business degree. And he went and he dealt very shrewdly and wisely with his master. And he, he ended up bringing a bunch of money into his master's table and kind of basically redeeming himself. And Jesus says, this man saved his job by acting wisely with the things of this world. He saved his bacon. He basically set up for himself a secure future with the wisdom of this world. And he says, how much more should the children of light use wisdom and tact and skill to set up for themselves riches in heaven? How much more should we who have a hope of eternity be investing in the future? We need to be rich towards God. You can be the poorest person in this room today, but you could be the richest person in this room towards God by doing things that glorify him and bring him honor, that further his kingdom. And so one of the main points in this, in this section of rich man and, and Lazarus is that we need to be rich towards God. As it's been said before, even I said it a couple weeks ago, we have one life to live, only one life to live, and it will soon pass. And only what we've done for Jesus will last. But here on this earth, the rich man had luxury and food on the table and a wonderful purple garment. The guy loved purple. Can you blame him? <laughs> Lazarus, on the other hand, had nothing to his name but his empty stomach and his sores. Oh, and the puppies. <laughs> he had the puppies. He could feed the puppies. Okay, never mind. We're going. Anyway, let's get into the Bible. Um, but as you read on, you know, he's poor and he's just hungry for crumbs. He has nothing, this Lazarus. And they died and they're carried to this place called Hades. Uh, the, the poor man carried to a section of Hades called Abraham's bosom. The rich man also was buried and being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, verse 23, and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus, 
I have a hard time with that word, Lazarus. I was going, Lazarus? Lazarus? Lazarus. Lazarus uh, was lying on Abraham's bosom. The story is told of C.S. Lewis visiting a graveyard in England one day. And he saw this, this well-known tombstone that says, Here lies a rich atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. And C.S. Lewis took out his pad that he kept in the back of his pocket and for writing purposes, and he wrote down, And oh, how I bet he wishes that were so. Because it's here in Luke chapter 16 where we see the reality of what happens to us after we die. Specifically what happened to people before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we still have a a partial account of what happens to non-believers when they die. Where are these guys? Abraham's bosom? That's kind of a weird, you know, it's kind of a weird uh, name of a place, don't you think? It's kind of interesting. I was looking up Abraham's bosom. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I was looking up Abraham's bosom jokes. Okay, they don't make many of them. But apparently, our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, had a joke book called Jokes from Abraham's Bosom. And uh, so you might want to go check that out at the public library and tell me how it goes. I'll put it in the next sermon. So where are these guys? Well, we know this. We know that before Jesus' resurrection, all of the people who had ever died went to the belly of the earth, quote unquote, belly of the earth. Whether or not it was actually, you know, it's actually, you get a giant well digger and you bring it out and start drilling, you know, and you, know, you punch through and before you get to Australia, you know, you hit the center of the earth and there happens to be a couple million people down there. Not sure about that, but, you know, I want to be someone who takes the word of God as literally as possible. So perhaps the actual belly of the earth, but we know that both those who were saved How could you have been saved in the Old Testament? Well, you looked forward to Jesus in the same manner that we are saved today by looking back on the sacrifice of Jesus that he made for us. The Old Testament saints would look forward to the cross. They had a love for the Lord and they, everything about the Old Testament speaks of Jesus and the people would recognize that and and just long for the one who would come to make that final sacrifice that would pay for it all once and for all. And so those who were born in the, uh, who died in the Old Testament times, who were saved, they would go to Hades. Now, Hades is kind of a blanket statement covering this whole area. And Hades was divided in half. And one side of Hades was called Abraham's bosom. On one side of the giant chasm, Abraham's bosom, which is like paradise. It's a very nice place. It's a place of rest. And, uh, and, and on the other side was the tormenting side called Hades. And then here in Luke 16, we see a real story of this place. It's a very vivid description of what Hades is like. It seems to be very similar to Revelation chapter 20, the lake of fire that we read about there. A place of fiery torment where one experiences burning sensations and thirst, among other things. In fact, if you go back, you remember we read that the, the rich man looked across this chasm and sees kind of people enjoying some paradise over there. And he sees Lazarus just kicking back and relaxing. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. 
Has anybody ever experienced thirst quite like that? Where, I mean, of course we all want like an Nalgene bottle full of water, but man, you would even settle for someone's dirty, nasty finger, you know, dipping in a cup and hanging over your, and just letting one drop just, you'd hear it hit the tongue and just kind of sizzle like, oh, you know. Remember when my dad had his stroke, he wasn't allowed to consume liquids or he would choke on the liquids and die. And so the only thing they would give him to kind of wet his mouth is either like this lollipop sponge, which some of you, it's like a pink sponge and oh yeah, oh thanks, you know, or uh, you could eat ice chips. And just for weeks, my dad had nothing to drink and he just, oh, you know, and we'd have to like put lip balm on, keep things moist. And, and finally he, he had one strong arm his right arm, and he grabs me, he pulls me, and I, I couldn't take it, you know, he was so strong even then, he pulled me right into his face, and he goes, cool, crisp, mountain spring water, <laughs> you know, I'm like, dad, I want to, but I can't, in the same way, Abraham's like, dude, I want to, believe me, it's no pleasure for me to see you suffering over there, but I just can't do it. And so we have a very vivid description, a very portrait of what Hades is like. Torment, thirst, fiery flames, burning sensations. Flip over to Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 44. And as you guys do that, I'll just kind of... That's good. Goes down smooth. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 44, Jesus says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Whoa, (laughs) it's kind of point blank. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire. So here's, here's what hell is like. Here's what Hades is like. Into the fire. That shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. You know, a lot of people believe that when they die that, yeah, there's heaven, but I'll just kind of go to the lesser form of heaven. I'll just kind of miss out on that kind of stuff, but I'll just hang out with my buddies and we'll party all day. You know, that's what hell will be like. It's a great big rave, you know. <laughs> you know, oh, this is... Trust me, that music gets old real quick. You don't want that playing in your ear for eternity. Mark tells us it's, it's a fiery place. The fire will never be quenched. There's worms there that do not die. Fire is not quenched. And that word hell there in verse 43 comes from Hebrew origin. It's the word Gehenna. And Gehenna means Valley of Hinnon. And as you go to Jerusalem, to this day, there's an area on the southwest side of Jerusalem. It's called the Valley of Hinnon. And what it is, it's, it's the dump of Jerusalem. And ever since the days of David, people would take their trash there and there was a continual fire that would, that would be burning in the Valley of Hinnon. It would constantly be burning this trash. And people would take uh, corpses there, dead bodies, bodies of animals. And, you know, it was just a rotten, filthy... I mean, I remember out on our ranch, we had pits for all the cows that would die. And, you know, occasionally me and my cousin would get kind of brave and 
ride our horses out there and be like, whoa, look at it all, you know, but oh, you could smell the thing a mile away, you know, and so hell is this very unpleasant place, but even in Jesus's day, it was a place where the, the fire would never go out. The trash was always being burned. There were maggots there that would constantly eat, eat the, uh, the garbage. And so Jesus is doing a very real reference for the people of that day and saying, look, Hades, hell, it's like spending eternity in a burning trash heap. And being caught in it, being in a painful place where you're caught in it. And this, the crazy thing is, is when Lazarus died, this is probably where he was buried. His body was probably drug outside the gate and just tossed into this trash heap. And that's where his body went. Where the rich man, you know, he probably had a, a nice casket, nice and cozy pillows and, you know, mini TV and mini bar in there, you know, and they'd did the procession outside of town, police escort and all of that stuff. He had it made even in his death. But the crazy thing is, is we see a beggar and a rich man going to opposite ends of the spectrum in eternity. In fact, we just read as we started out the Bible study that eventually the rich man is going to be the one begging. And Lazarus, who was begging his whole life, is going to be uh, is going to be on the, the paradise side of things. Now, this is not to say that if you're wealthy here on earth that, well, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know, better get, let's tithe box right back there. You know, that's, that's not what the word is saying here. It's saying be rich towards God. You know, if, if you're rich towards yourself, then you are in trouble. But be rich towards God, not just with your money, but with all of your energies, all of your talents, all of your time, all of your passions, let it be for the Lord. We also see in Matthew twenty two thirteen that hell is a place where there will be weeping forever. Weeping forever and gnashing of teeth. I'm, so, I'm sure some of you have experienced a type of pain that is so severe. I was talking to Eldon uh, who had a heart attack. Be praying for Eldon Nickel this week. I had a heart attack last Monday and we went to the hospital and we were like, what was it like? He goes, worst pain you'll ever experience. I would rather die than go through that again. And, you know, would you say you gnashed your teeth, Eldon? <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, imagine that type of pain where for eternity uh, you're gnashing your teeth and you're weeping, you're sorrowful. We see that this is a place where the beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist, in Revelation chapter 20, will be thrown in, into this bottomless pit and tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, The Sandlot, but there's a kid with thick black rim glasses and it zooms right into his big buck teeth and he's all forever, forever, forever. Can you even put a number on, you put that little infinity sign, it's forever and ever. Torment forever and ever, day and night, no rest. Matthew 25 tells us it's a place that was designed for the devil and his angels. That's the incredible thing is hell was never created for you. It's never been on God's heart to send you to hell. He didn't have a great scheme when he created the world of, yeah, you know, I'm going to really love on some, I'm going to really trash others. 
you know, and I can't wait to watch them burn like little ants on the sidewalk with my magnifying glass. You know, <laughs> you know, that's never been the Lord's heart. He created hell as a place for, for the devil and his rebellious angels who've caused so much pain and suffering in this world. But sadly, because men reject reject the peace that Jesus wants to bring them, the only way, the only way, for so many reasons, coming through Jesus is the only way to salvation for more reasons than I have time to tell you. And because people reject that, that the way, they have to go to this place because God is a just God. And it's sad in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, you read of this account that's in the future going to take place called the great white throne judgment. It's not a judgment that Christians are going to face, but it's a judgment that all these people who've been waiting in Hades, they're going to be cast up before the throne of God and they're going to have their final judgment. And it says that the books will be opened. One of the books being the book of life. And did you know that the, the minute you bow the knee to Jesus, even the knee in your heart, and just say, Lord Jesus, I bow before you. I confess you as my Savior. I receive the, the atonement you made on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sins. I follow you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. The minute you do that in your heart, you can hear the pen set to the pad in heaven. Rory Rogers, underlined triple underline, you know, don't forget this guy, you know, Rory Rogers. Has your name been entered into that book? Well, there's another book that's in heaven that'll be opened on that day. And it's the book of all of your works. And Jesus is going to say, what have you done with my, or, you know, God, the father is going to say, what have you done with my son, Jesus, that I should enter, enter you into heaven? And they'll say, well, nothing. I didn't do anything with Jesus, but I was a good person. Oh, you were a good person, huh? Crack open the book of all of your works. And if you want to be judged according to your works, here's the deal. Have you ever sinned ever? Because James tells us if you're a keeper of the law and yet stumble at one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. So you may have done something nice in your life. You may have opened the door for somebody at Denny's, you know, or something like that, or helped somebody walk across the street or mowed somebody's lawn. Maybe you even volunteer at a charity organization. Have you ever sinned ever in your life? And this is the thing. We know from the Bible that we commit sins and we don't even know about it. There used to be, have to be a sacrifice for unintentional sins. Boy, that's just too much worrying. Not only that, you know, the good thing is, is that there's a, may, a, a way made for you today that all you have to do is believe in Jesus, confess your sins and be forgiven of them, and you will be saved. You will be saved to heaven. And so what a sad day that will be. And it's going to come. Where people will be judged. And if their name, it says, eventually, it just comes down to this in Revelation 2015. Anyone not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. You know, in, in the physical realm, we'd picture a lava lake or a lava flow or something. If we fell into that death, it's over with. 
might hurt for a millisecond, but that's it. You guys, there's no death after death. This is called the second death, actually. And what it is, is it's eternity and separation from God in the lake of fire where there's torment. And there's a false doctrine out there today called annihilationalism. And it states that, yeah, if you were to fall into the lake of fire, you'd just be annihilated and nothing ever, you'll never feel pain again. You'll never, you know, you just miss out on heaven. And you guys, that is a false doctrine. That's a false doctrine. The word of God states that just as the angels and the devil and his angels are cast into Hades, forever, the lake of fire forever and ever, so will people who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ be thrown into the same lake. And so we know that before Jesus died, everyone who died went to this place, this this divided area. Abraham's bosom, if they're saved, Hades, if they were not. But after Jesus died, he went to Abraham's bosom and he announced salvation for all of those who had believed in the Old Testament era. And Hebrews tells us that he went down and he led captivity captive. And he ascended, and when he ascended, he brought the people from Abraham's bosom with them to heaven. There was, it was a very victorious, wonderful day as all of the Old Testament saints rejoiced. They've been in a holding tank, which is nice, a place of rest, still paradise, we know. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. He should have said, for three days, we'll be in the holding tank of Abraham's bosom, still paradise. But then three days later, we're going to go to paradise, paradise. It's going to be incredible. And so he did. He went down there. And in fact, Jesus even prophesied that he would do just that. The Pharisees said, show us a sign. And Jesus says, you want a sign? I'll show you the sign of Jonah. This is the only sign I'll give you. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, I'm going to be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. But after three days and three nights, I'm going to raise from the dead. First Peter chapter three, verse 19 through 20 says, he went and he preached to the the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls were saved through water. So Jesus went down to Hades, preached victory to the people who were in Abraham's bosom and then preached a message of judgment to those who had rejected him from the very days of Noah. Because do you guys realize that Noah is a picture of Jesus? And Noah, just as, just as, you know, through one way, is there a way to salvation through Jesus Christ? So in the day of Noah, there was one way, get on the ark or face judgment and die. And people rejected and they mocked and they scoffed just like they reject and they mock and they scoff Jesus today. And so Jesus will look into the eyes of those in Hades and say, you rejected me then you've rejected me now. And this will be where you're going to stay forever. You rejected me. You had your chance. You had one life to live and you rejected me. We have one life to live, Paul says. And then after that is judgment for the non-believers or for the believers to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And so verse 25 or actually verse, verse 26, and besides all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed 
so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So understand this, that the gulf is fixed. Once these people are in Hades, they will be there forever. It's not purgatory. That's a false doctrine. It's not temporal. You can't just get out of Hades by buying a couple candles and lighting them or, or having a prayer group pray for you to escape hell. If that was the case, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on the cross. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus crying out, sweating blood. If there's any other way for these people who I love to be saved, let me know. Let's do this thing. Let's do it. I'll, I'll do it. Whatever I need to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Second time, if there's any other way. Third time, if there's any other way. There's no other way. So he goes to the cross. Can you imagine while he's hanging on the cross? The Lord, you know, the Father says to him, Oh, well, there was that whole prayer candle thing we could have done. <laughs> you know, we could have done a contract deal with Yankee, you know, and had lilac scented prayer candles all over the world. And you wouldn't have had to die. You wouldn't have even had to come and become a man. That would have been a good way to go. But too late now, you're putting to the cross. What? Of course not. There is no other way. There's no way to just pray people out of hell. There's nowhere in scripture that, that, that that's evident. That's a, that's a false doctrine. That's heresy. The gulf is fixed. It's not temporary. There's no praying someone out of it. And then he said, verse 27, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So how many of your family members have passed on rejecting Jesus? And now, according to scripture, they're in Hades. They're, you know, and I try to just say that with gentleness and I get no pleasure saying that they're in Hades. I, my heart is sorrowful that they, that they rejected Jesus and they're spending eternity in hell. But how many of your family members are in hell today pleading that someone will just come and tell you about Jesus? Pleading that someone would come, pleading that somehow you would get out of bed and come to Calvary Chapel County where the gospel will be preached, that you could be a new creation in Christ and be saved from hell and saved from your sins. Perhaps your mom or your dad or your aunt or uncle has you in mind. And that's one thing about hell. That's one thing that makes hell so hellacious is that people have memories in hell and they'll be able to remember their whole life, how they rejected Christ. But by this time they won't care. They still don't care about Jesus, even in hell. In fact, you notice that this rich man doesn't say, give me one more chance. I see the truth. Now I want to live for Jesus. I'm sorry. Take me back to earth. I'll be an evangelist. I'm going to go to my family first. I'm going to preach to them. I'm going to lead them to Christ. I'm going to go all throughout the neighborhoods. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a Jesus freak. Oh, yes. I never saw it before, but now I see it. Oh, man, I don't want to spend forever here. I don't want anybody else. To, oh, you know. No. He had hardened his heart so many times that it had become stone throughout the years that he lived on the earth. His heart was too hard. It was unpenetrable. And he says, hey, not that I even really care that much. Why don't you send Lazarus up there? Just let them know. Let my family know. 
But it's not possible. It's not possible for this man to go. Even if he wanted to go, it wouldn't be possible. Men who are placed in Hades will be in hell forever. And here we see the rich man becoming the beggar. And then verse 29, Abraham said to them, don't worry about it. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. Don't worry about it. Up there on earth, they have the Bible. You don't need Lazarus to go up there and tell anybody. They have the Bible, dude. Don't worry about it. And then he said, no, no. Father Abraham, but if one would go to them from the dead, then they would repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. They have the word of God. They have the Bible, which is so powerful. It's not just a leatherback book. It's living and active. It's God breathed out onto paper. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And Hebrews tells us that it's able to divide between bone and marrow and soul and spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. It's not just a book. It knows what you're thinking right now. How many times have you been to a Bible study and you thought the preacher knew all of your dirty little secrets? I don't know anything. The Holy Spirit knows and he shows me things sometimes. It's the word of God that knows things. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And if anyone is a fair inquirer and they will look at this book, there is so much evidence and so much proof that shows that this is all we need for life and for godliness. The prophecies that have been fulfilled, how accurate it is geographically, how it all points and has one main topic, and that is Jesus Christ, how 40 different authors from 40 different ways of life from three different continents all wrote a unique, united, unarguing book. There are so many things about this book that that if you would just read it, you would come to life. If you would just be a fair inquirer, you would come to life. Oh, no, no, no. We need someone to show us a sign. The Pharisees always said that to Jesus and said, you're a wicked and perverse generation that has to have a sign. Okay, okay, I'll show you a sign. I'm going to rise from the dead. What happened after that? They still wouldn't believe. Even after he rose from the dead, they still, to this day, reject him as being Messiah. Some of them do. Some Messianic Jews. Go for it, Messianic Jews. We might think that people want to hear about it from people that, that rose from the dead. But you guys remember Eutychus, right? Paul is preaching a sermon much like this one that went on and on and on and on one night. And Eutychus is sitting up in a window. Eutychus falls asleep. Dies. Falls out the window. So Paul, you know, says, push the pause button on this sermon, guys. Hops off the stage, walks over. They pray over Eutychus. He comes back to life. And then you know what happened? Paul said, you know what, Eutychus? Forget me. What do I know? All I have is this. You have risen from the dead. Come on up here. Here's the microphone. Tell us what you've seen. It's, no. They don't, you don't see that. He says, Eutychus, sit back over by the couch this time so that when you fall, you know, we don't need anything else. We have everything we need to know about hell by the Bible. 
What else do you need to know? It's a lake of fire where you will be tormented forever and ever and have weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will have memories of the life that you spent wrong and you'll have memories of the loved ones that you should have warned not to come here. Everything you need to know about hell, it's right here. And I even fall into that. There's a guy out there, his name's Bill Weiss, and apparently he, you know, uh, had a vision of hell or died and went to hell or something for like nine, it's called 90 minutes in hell. And man, I was like, I showed it to the, this video to the youth group and, you know, I, I, I was pumped about it and, you know, and maybe he had a vision about it. But the crazy thing is, is he didn't even tell us anything we don't know. In fact, he just was like, okay, I'm just going to read you scriptures about hell and just tell you, yep, <laughs> pretty much. They can't tell us anything else. And those that have gone to heaven, they just can't tell us anything else about heaven. Paul died and went to heaven. And you know what he saw? Things that were too beautiful to even explain. And if he tried to put it into words, it would be sin for him, he said. And so he tells us, you know, eye has not seen and ear has not heard and nor has entered into the heart of man. Those things which God has prepared for those who love him. All that Paul could say is like, it's so great. It's great, 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 great. You know, it's like, how much can I, that's it. You know, you don't need me to tell you anything else. Oh, but if someone would just rise from the dead, you guys, there's going to be excuses a list a mile and a half trillion miles long for people on that day. Oh, if our pastor would have just been a little more animated behind the pulpit. You know? Oh, if he Oh, if you know, if the worship band would have been a little more groovy, you know? Oh, if Oh, you know, if it would have been a 10 o'clock service, but it was a 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock and I just don't work during those hours. You know, ah, you know, Oh, if it was a formal church or what, you know, there's so many different things. People are going to have excuses. And I'll tell you something. I'm a born again believer. I have the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, living in me, speaking through me right now. I don't know what else you need. I spend hours laboring in the Bible, seeking the Lord, his specific heart for the specific day, for the specific people that would come through this door And I trust him that when I teach, the words are like well-guided arrows who've been released from my bow and have hit you directly in the heart. And the messages that have hit you that you thought were for your neighbor, they're for you. And if I could speak directly to you without embarrassing you or offending you, I would speak directly to you without embarrassing or offending you. Because the Lord knows your heart. He knows where you're at. You don't need anything else. In fact, you've had other things already. You've experienced miracles, and yet you're still living a lukewarm life or a dead life spiritually. You've been with your mother on her deathbed, and she wasn't a believer. And as she was going into eternity, she had a look of horror on her face, and you were terrified. You've had a a witness through that. Or you've been with your father on his deathbed, and he was a follower of Jesus, and he was telling you in your face, I'm going on to Jesus. You get your right life with the Lord, your, your life right with the Lord, and join me. And as he went into eternity, he was joyful. We've all had different types of experiences that have pointed us to, Romans tells us, even creation itself testifies. What more do we need? We've got creation testifies of the creator. Just go outside and look. But bottom line is, you've got Moses, you've got the prophets. They did many signs and wonders and people still reject them. 
Time after time after time, Moses did incredible, wacky signs before Pharaoh. Rivers turned into blood, staffs turning into snakes, locusts and flies and firstborn children being killed and all of this stuff. And at the first, you know, at the first few signs, Pharaoh was kind of soft. Okay, I'll let your people go. Ah, no. Ah. You know, you know, by the seventh plague, you know, he's like, no. He keeps, it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart against that sign. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. Ten times Pharaoh hardened his heart until finally it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that's why in Hebrew it says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Because today is the day of salvation. And if you say no to Jesus, it's going to be harder to say yes to Jesus tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Your heart gets harder and harder and harder like stone. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart today. May you hear the spirit of God calling you, which is better than a man who's been raised from the dead. May you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart saying, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone will come and open this door, I will come inside him and dine with him and he with me. And today, perhaps you feel your heart beating a little bit faster. As Jesus is talking to you, that's the spirit of God. And he's crying out to you, Yield your life to me and be saved from Hades, from this place of torment and be saved from your sins and yourself because man, we need to be saved from ourselves and be saved for Jesus and for his kingdom and for, you know, really heaven is just the cherry on top of the ice cream Sunday. Man, life here on earth with Jesus is an adventure. And there's hope and there's peace and there's life. It's fantastic. And we get to go to heaven when we die. And so if you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus into your heart to be saved, you can do that right now. Let's go ahead and set our stuff aside and and, uh, go to prayer and the worship team can come up. And if you're a Christian here today, will you just join me in praying for people that might be in this room who have never gotten saved and accepted Jesus into their life? If that's you today, I want to give you the most spectacular opportunity you've ever had in your life. And that is to know Jesus, the creator of the universe, who became a man and set aside his privileges of deity and suffered and was tempted yet without sin and who died on the cross thinking of you and thinking about this very day in September where you would come into Calvary Chapel of Crook County and you would hear about his deep love for you. You can know that man today and you can be forgiven of your sins and you can be saved 
from all your sins and your addictions and your bondages and all of those things that are destroying your life, you can be saved from you today. And all you have to do couldn't be any easier. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is choose him over your sin today. And believe on him. Is there anybody here today? You want to be saved. I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand in just response to God today. And just say, Rory, as I lift my hand up, I'm just going to ask you to pray for me. Just pray for me, Rory. I want to be saved today. I want to have new life. I've been ruining things. I am desperate for a fresh start. Well, today, if you will receive Jesus, you can be born again. You can be born again to a new life. Is there anybody out there? Hear the voice of your relatives today in Hades. Hear the voice of the people that have gone before and are in Hades. If someone would just preach the truth for once, They're pleading. The Lord sees you. Anybody else? The Lord sees you. The Lord sees you. Just lift up your hand and just the best way you can say, Lord, that's me. That's all, that's all I can say is that's me, Lord. I want to be saved today. Anybody else? beautiful thing the only person that raised their hand in the first service was like a one and a half year old or a two year old that was that's me anybody else that's me I do not want to go to Hades and just if you've lifted your hand up and you're just desiring that salvation just know that you are saved you're saved your name you can hear the pen set to the pad in heaven your name being written in the book of life and you can know for certain today you know you can you know today for certain that when you die you will go to heaven just if you've lifted your hand, just enjoy this moment. This is the most important, beautiful, awesome moment that will ever happen in your life. Jesus says that when one sinner turns from his sin, that the angels in heaven rejoice. Anybody else? You want the angels in heaven to rejoice over your name being written in the Lamb's book of life today? I plead with you, if you're hearing his voice today, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you have this afternoon. Anybody at all?
I just want you to be honest with yourself today. I want you to be real and I want you to be honest. And I want you to look at your heart. Every single one of us, even if, you, even if you're the most Christian-y Christian here, every single one of us, let's look at our hearts. Because the Bible says to examine yourself daily to see whether you're of the faith. I just would plead with you, examine yourself. Have you been born again? And is there fruit in your life that is evidence of a new creation in Christ? Or is the fruit that is coming from the branches of your life evidence of an unregenerate person? And just very real, very frankly, examine your fruit and ask yourself, are you saved? Are you born again? Are you regenerated? And there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Just receive the free gift. I love free gifts. I'll receive them no problem. Don't be embarrassed about it. Take the free gift. Lift up your hand and say, I want that free gift. I want to be made new. I want to be washed. I want my sins that are as scarlet to be washed as white as snow. Is there anybody at all? Anybody else? Just, man, yeah, my life does not have evidence of a new creation. I want to be born again today. Anybody else? Lord sees you. Awesome. And now that we know what the Lord saved us from, maybe you do just want to recommit your life to Christ. And you look at that fruit and you say, no, I do. I love Jesus, but my apple tree has some thorns on it. And I just want to recommit. Man, he saved me from Hades. I want to give it all to him. Is there anyone here today? Just lift up your hand and just say, I just want to recommit today. I want to give it all. Just as you do and lift up your hand, just know the Lord sees that. And and he never mocks someone who humbles themselves and asks for more of him. We're just going to go ahead and close with a song and just, man, as you're lifting your hands up, as you are responding to the word this morning, man, just soak it in and don't care what people are thinking about. You don't care what I'm thinking. Just soak it in. If you're getting saved for the first time today, just soak it in, man. Just, just see him take your chains that are around your legs and remove them and just watch him deliver you from addiction. Just enjoy His grace being showered upon you. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.